0: Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and we are continuing our study here in the book of Romans, and we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be uh, looking at uh, verses 1 through 39. Uh, Just a little bit of a background here. You know, Paul is writing, obviously, to the believers and to the church that's found in Rome, likely around uh, AD 57, which is about 20, uh, 25 years or so after um, the ministry of Christ is is finished, and he's obviously uh, commissioned the disciples and the apostles to go and Preach the word. What's interesting about this particular chapter here in Romans eight is that up to this point, uh, chapters one through seven in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, he's probably only mentioned the Holy Spirit maybe about three times or so. When we get to chapter eight, though, he begins to mention it more than a dozen times, and obviously the Holy Spirit is uh, at at the at the core understanding of the teaching here in Romans chapter eight. So the title of the lesson is going to be When the Spirit Has Control, or how does the believer live under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, and how does God's Spirit equip us to live the Christian life? As we look into verses 1 through 17, Paul uses the word therefore in verse 1, and the purpose of this is to take the reader back to the principles that were taught in our previous chapter in chapter 7. and This all culminates in verse 24 in chapter 7 when Paul asks, who will deliver me? And the answer is found in uh, verse 25 in chapter 7 as the apostle utters the great thanksgiving proclamation that celebrates the work of Jesus Christ. So with that in view, uh, all of a sudden Paul reveals to us in chapter 8 and verse 1 that it's through Christ's sacrificial work and the work of the Holy Spirit that condemnation through sin no longer applies to the believer. Why that's important is that by definition, condemnation refers to the penalty of death under which all people live, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But condemnation can also come in the form of guilt, it can come in the form of shame, and of course it comes in the form of punishment. So this statement echoes the statement made by the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, that those who are in Christ Jesus, it's such an important phrase in the Bible, those who are in Christ Jesus have experienced peace with God, and it's not through anything we've done, but it's through the justification that's offered to us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So no condemnation is further defined in verse 2 through verse 4, and in verse 2 the apostle presents two contrasting laws. He contrasts the law of sin and death, which leads to bondage, with the other law, the spirit of life, that leads to freedom. And the latter one refers to the Holy Spirit who resides in believers. So this designation as spirit of life is appropriate since God is in the business of offering and delivering life to his followers. When you received Christ, you received eternal life. And that eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in him. Verse 3 expounds on why the Mosaic law could not provide victory over sin. It was weakened by the flesh or sinful nature of humanity. It isn't that the law itself was weak, but instead recognition of the inability of humans and our sin nature to obey what the law requires. What the law could not produce, however, God provided by sending His Son in human form to accomplish it for sinful man. And we read that in verses 3 and 4. Another picture where you see this developed is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. So as we move on, Verse 5 through verse 7 consists of more contrast between the two laws that we referenced earlier. First, the mindsets are completely different. The one that's living according to the ways of sin nature has had their mind on things of the nature of this nature, while the one living according to the Spirit has their mind set on things of the Spirit. So before we knew Christ, our minds were set on fleshly desires, on the natural man and our natural purposes. And now, as we are saved through Christ, we are now set our minds on the things that matter to the Spirit. So the contrast of outcomes for these opposing laws is given in verse 6, that the flesh results in death, while the spirit results in life and peace. And finally, the reason for the contrast is revealed in verse 7, that the one who still lives according to the sinful nature is hostile to God, they're enemies with God, and refuse to submit to his plans and purposes. Simply stated, those living according to sinful nature cannot please God. In verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But continuing into verse 9, the follower of Jesus is now ruled by the Spirit, who's has taken residence up in his or her life. An individual who does not have the Spirit, sadly, does not belong to God. And verse 10 is a conditional statement in which if can be understood as since or because. Let's read that. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The reference to the death of the body reminds the reader of human mortality and the effects of sin. And even though the body will experience death, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the believer will experience new life. And this happens because the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead offers life to those who are in Christ Jesus. And We read about that in verses 11 and 12. So being in Christ, we meet the requirements of righteousness. In addition to taking away our condemnation and our guilt, God provided the Spirit to help us be victorious over our old natures and over sin. While the Spirit-filled life will not eliminate all sinful acts in our earthly existence, and this is a very important point, that being saved doesn't negate the fact that we will sin, but the goal of the Christian is not, as Paul puts it, to continue in sin. The goal is to live in the power of the Spirit, and through this process of sanctification, we become more like Christ. It will enable us to live victoriously as we submit to the Spirit's control and direction. So Paul then focuses on our new position in God's family. As God's children, there's an obligation to live in the control and power of the Holy Spirit. And this is supported in negative terms in verse 12, not to the flesh or sinful nature, and in positive terms that in verse 14, that all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So Paul's saying, now that you're children of God, Don't be those who live by the flesh or sin nature. Be those who live and are now capable of being led by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God has taken residence up in us. So in verse 13, Paul returned to the repeated themes of this section. Living according to the flesh as compared to living according to the Spirit. Living according to the inclinations and desires of the sinful nature, as has already been emphasized, leads to death. But to the contrary, living under the influence and control of the Spirit will help us put sinful deeds to death and enjoy the abundant life of which Jesus spoke about in John 10 and verse 10, that your joy might be full and you would have that joy more abundantly. The Apostle also emphasized our standing as legal heirs, explaining our adoption in God's family. Powerful verses in 14:15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear... But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Such powerful words that the word adoption as used here signified placement. As an adult son with full rights of of an heir, this position in Christ provides us with an intimate and fulfilling relationship with our Heavenly Father, in which we can call out to Him, Abba, Father, at any time. This is in contrast to the spirit of slavery or bondage, in which an individual was enslaved to sin and lived his or her life in fear. And Paul reminded the reader that it is the Spirit that bears witness or testifies of the new birth to the believer in verse 16. In addition, we have become recipients of the same blessings and inheritances that have been designated for Christ. Verse 17, And if the children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. We are loved, provided for, and cherished. We are not only heirs of God, but even co-heirs with Christ, a reality that spoke to the glories of heaven but also to the reality of suffering that a believer may share as a result of professing Christ. This word adoption is a powerful word that we read in verse 15. When we go back to uh, Greco-Roman culture, when a man had no son, he was permitted to adopt one by law, and frequently that person was a slave. And at this point, the adopted son took on the names of his father and was legally regarded as a son and could even address his former master, his former slave owner, by the title of father. And in Paul's use of the term, the one who came to God by faith was adopted as a son and was granted all the rights and privileges that come with this designation. Because believers are sons and not slaves, they are no longer should be subjugated to sin or fear. So for us, we must choose to live under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit instead of according to the flesh? We submit to and follow the leading and prompting of the Spirit instead of the desires of our old sinful nature. What does it mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? How do we do that? We continually take in and think about God's Word. We determine to live by God's Word rather than the ways of the world, and we limit the worldly influences that we take into our minds. We apply God's truth to every situation. That's our quick look over at verses 1-17, through 17, and in a moment we're going to continue on into verses 18-20. through 20. Welcome back as we continue on. We're going to look here into Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 20 and we're going to focus in on the fact that the Holy Spirit helps believers have hope in the middle of suffering. So earlier in the chapter we realized who we have now become or how, who we are positionally in God and that is that we're part of the family of God. We've been adopted because of the record of Christ Jesus and as part of that we are gifted with the Holy Spirit who takes residence in us and guides us and directs us to follow the ways of the Spirit. Part of that ministry of the Spirit to us is um, seen here powerfully in verse 18 through 30. That when we experience suffering, we do not suffer alone. And it speaks deeply to Jesus' instruction in the Gospels that we, he would give us a comforter. Even though he would leave this world, he would provide for his followers a comforter. And we know that comforter to be the Holy Spirit. So after Paul highlighted the wonderful reality of being the children of God, he was quick to recognize that we are still living in a fallen and sinful world. And as such, we are subject to suffering, physical limitations, we're subject to weakness, and and uncertainties. Paul likened these experiences to the groaning or the travail of a woman in labor. And this speaks of a painful and wearisome experience. But the reality of each of these experiences, however, is that they are temporary in nature. And this is best portrayed in verse 18 as one considers present suffering as compared to eternal glory. If you think of Paul's illustration of the woman in travail or in labor, you think that that pain is experienced for a brief time, but there's great joy that comes that lasts much longer. And When we consider our position as suffering in this present time, but compared to eternal glory, the suffering could consist of things such as sickness, injury, natural disaster, financial loss, death, war, just to name a few. But as difficult and debilitating as each of these experiences may be, they still do not compare to the glory that is to come. What does that word glory mean? Well, that word glory could refer to the eternal transformation that occurred as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You could use 2 Corinthians 4.17 as a reference point. And in each of these experiences, Paul declared that we are not without hope. And hope, by definition, isn't wishful thinking, but is instead a confident expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. Paul used verses 26-30 through 30 to elaborate on the basis for such hope. We are hopeful because we have the Spirit who lives in us and strengthens us. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for us of the things that are to come. The Spirit enables our communication with our Father by interceding for us. And just a few verses earlier in verse 23, Paul had spoken of the fact that believers groan along with creation in turmoil. And in verse 26, he asserted that the Spirit also groans with Christians who have hope and long for the glory that is to come. And this groaning and corresponding intercession for believers is just one example of how the Lord joins us in our affliction and how the Spirit serves as an advocate for the children of God. Paul further provided hope in the assurance that God has a good plan for our lives and always works uh, towards our good and to make us more like Christ. These may be verses that you memorize early on in life, or maybe these are new, but in verse 28 through 30, here's what the Word of God says. He says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This knowledge of God working all things for good in verse 28 is known intuitively and scripturally. Paul, however, wanted the child of God to endure difficult times, and know this, to know this love experientially. So for us, we're called to remain faithful and trust God in the midst of suffering and difficulty. And what truths from these verses give us hope and help us persevere through hard times? The glory waiting for us is far greater than the suffering that we face. And the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. God's best is what waits for us. It's what the Spirit desires for us. And God causes all things to work out for our good. And we understand the glory that will be revealed. So how is it possible for suffering and difficulty to work out for our good? Well, there's a few things. It grows our faith. It can develop our Christian character. But most of all, it makes us more like Christ because we join in Christ's suffering by becoming co-heirs with Him. But we also become co-heirs of the glory that will one day be revealed. Powerful truths there in in these verses. We're going to look at the final section of the chapter in verses 31 through 39 in just a moment. Welcome back as we conclude our study here in Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at this final part of the chapter in verse 31 to the end in verse 39. And realizing that it's that nothing can separate believers from God's great love. We saw who we were translated from sinful nature. Now we are the children of God adopted into His family. We see how the Spirit ministers to us, even though we still experience suffering in this life, that there is a great eternal hope and glory that is to come. And now we remind ourselves that nothing can separate believers from God's great love because God has given us so much. And He did so despite the fact that we didn't deserve it. The same concept was demonstrated in Abraham's life in Genesis 22, when God said that Abraham had not withheld his son from him. However, if we did not deserve it, and we couldn't pay for it, how do we know that the enemy of our souls will not somehow separate us from God and his blessings? After all, we still sin. We face all kinds of struggles. And we still don't have it all figured out. In verses 33-36, through it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In the middle of all these things is the reminder that the same Jesus who died for us is now interceding or pleading on our behalf. So will God always love us and work on our behalf? Paul provides assurance, confirming that nothing can separate us from God's love. Verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is demonstrated through the terminology of the verse, we are more than conquerors. And this expression literally means that we are super conquerors or super victorious. The believer doesn't need to fear the difficulties that come his or her way. As believers, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And our judge and justifier is Jesus Christ alone. And no other person or circumstance can sever a person's relationship with God. So now we can live confidently knowing nothing can separate you and I from God's love. So what does it mean that we are more than conquerors in trials and difficulties? What that means is that the Lord helps us get through these trials, and we keep trusting God, and God uses trials to grow us. And how has God demonstrated his love for us? Well, he gave us the greatest gift. He gave gave us his Son, Jesus Christ, and he causes all things to work out for our good. I hope this is an encouraging chapter. I hope it reminds us to live out in the power of the Holy Spirit because this is a gift from God. It's a down payment of the future glory that awaits us. And we know that nothing, not even ourselves, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Look forward to studying with you next time. I hope you'll join us as we continue our, our look and study in the, into the, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And I hope that we'll continue to grow our faith together. So thank you for joining us on the Calvary Couples Podcast and I look forward to being with you next time.